0: Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in B.C. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. But first, of course, we start with Snowmageddon. Here we snow again. It is a nightmare out there on many metro roads. We got a ton of phone calls yesterday on driving in the snow and ice. The eternal question here, are lower mainland drivers bad drivers in the snow? Let's have a listen to some of your calls here. The drivers in Metro Vancouver are atrocious.
1: Are Vancouver drivers bad? I'm afraid I'm going to have to say yes.
2: The snow on the coast is... It's a lot different. The Lower Mainland is the only part of D.C. that is exempt from having snow tires on.
3: Where's the biggest hill in Saskatchewan for all the great Saskatchewan snow drivers? I don't recall quite where it is.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah, take a little crack at those flatlanders there. They don't have to deal with the hills. Maybe they can drive better in the snow than us, but look at the hills we got here. Come on. Let's check in with Grant Gottkutru now. Grant is a former traffic cop. He is now a forensic consultant on traffic violations. Forensictrafficpro.com. Very pleased to welcome him back. Grant, thanks a lot for coming on today.
4: As always, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Hey, Grant, you were a traffic police officer for a long time. I'm sure you attended many accidents that were related to snow and ice over the years. What was the sort of most common factor you saw there? Just people don't know how to drive in the snow? Is that what you think?
4: Oh, most definitely uh, that and uh, insufficient uh, tread on their tires. They got the wrong yeah. tires on for the time of the season. I mean, most people have all seasons. I don't think anyone just drives with summer tires anymore. I don't even think they make them, do they? <laughs> Remember? I don't think so. Day? The problem
0: with those all season tires, though, is that it's a very misleading descriptor because it should be three seasons. Really, I mean, they're not really good for the winter. Winter, you need all weather. You need the, you need those tires with the snowflake symbol on the side of them.
4: Uh, absolutely, uh, yeah. the all all weather tires are much better. Well, they're such an improvement from all seasons. And you're right, uh, all season tires is is misleading. The problem in the lower mainland. Don't get a lot of snow, but when we do, it's a big dump like this, right? And drivers aren't used to it. And there, how many how many uh, um, new drivers, not only uh, young drivers, but new drivers from elsewhere in the world, uh, come to the Lower Mainland every year, and some some they're just not used to the snow. I had a guy tell me a couple of weeks ago that if
0: Lower Mainland drivers are, are really Uh, get a bad rap and it's not fair. How come you see truck drivers skidding down some of these roads? I mean, we saw like a eight-vehicle pileup the other day in Surrey with a tractor-trailer sliding into the back of a fire truck. So if these professional drivers are having problems, how is anyone else supposed to navigate it? Not, You know what? I heard from a lot of truck drivers, professional drivers who say, don't blame us. Most of the time it's because some knucklehead in front of us is messing up and and that's causing the problems for us it, it's some idiot where with summer tires who gets stuck and that's why we start going into a slide because they're blocking us do you think that is a legit excuse uh
4: sort of uh you know i spent many many years uh doing commercial vehicle inspections uh, so uh uh what well, they're like any other driver out there some are really good some are negligent with their vehicle maintenance, especially yeah. their tires. So the, they're not exempt.
0: <laughs> what should you do if you go into a slide? What, what is the correct emergency sort of driving response there? You, suddenly you've lost control of your vehicle. You've hit some ice. You're out of control. Do you steer, you steer toward where you're, where you're sliding?
4: I think what most people do now is they video it and put it on TikTok. Isn't that what yeah. they do now? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, right.
4: Uh, yeah, well, instinctively, you should throw your vehicle in the neutral, that way, yeah, the wheels
1: oh. turning. Yeah,
4: and and but most, it's really not covered enough by ICBC, uh, and they should. They should focus on that, not only in the driving tests uh, for a uh, uh, motor vehicle branch, but also on their commercials. Uh, into the neutral, obviously that stops the wheels from turning, uh, but people panic. They just yeah. jump on their brakes. They start sliding, and they go oh, and then they just start turning, turning. Yeah, you're supposed to turn into the skid. But really, once you start sliding, uh, you you've kind of like, you, you're, you're limited to what options you can do. And, and again, the, the, the drivers in the lower mainland are atrocious when it comes to um, extreme weather events, whether it's heavy rain or lots of snow. For almost 30 years, I patrolled the streets, and when I was at Ursu, I was all over the lower mainland, and I can say unequivocally. In the snow, the lower mainland, the drivers in the lower mainland are atrocious.
0: What about, okay, you you hear this a lot, but what about the argument that the snow is different on the coast? It's a wetter, heavier snow. We get this sort of freezing, melting kind of process that goes on. It makes it even more hazardous. Plus, we got the hills. You know, you've got to try and navigate a lot of these hills in the city. So you put it all together, it's a very, very difficult circumstance. It's not like other parts of Canada, where, you know, the snow might be a little lighter and drier. What do you think of that argument?
4: Well, its it, I, I guess people want to fail the finger test. They don't want to take accountability for themselves. But there's other places in, in British Columbia that get just as much, if not more, snow that are hilly yeah. and don't have the mayhem. Right. But but there's a, it's a combination of factors. Anyone who's lived in the lower mainland, long in the five minutes, knows that most uh, cities wait too long before they get out there and start dealing with the snow. Even when there's a snowfall warning, it's like I can't tell you the amount of times I've, I've said, where the hell are the trucks? Why is the snow piling up? Where are the trucks? Oh, okay. we've got so much salt and so much sand. Well, then get out there.
0: All right, we continue talking about the snow and ice in our roads. If you are out there, slow down, be careful. Don't go out if you don't have to. My guest, Grant Gottkatru, true he's a former traffic police officer. Tons of phone calls here. Mike and Vernon. Hi, Mike. Go ahead. Good morning, guys.
5: Hey, uh, listen, in Vernon, it's not great either right now. This is tough. When it snows like this, it's tough everywhere. Um, so a couple things. First of all, snow tires. Yes, there are pure snow tires. All-weather tires are a stopgap. And they do make summer tires. I run summer tires in the summer. I run a pure winter tire in the winter. I have no problems. Second thing is uh, commercial transport. I worked commercial transport on and off for 35 years in Vancouver, um, pulling 53 and 48-foot trailers as well as gravel. I packed two sets of chains with me. One set was for my truck. The other set was for the other guy that would be in my way in the warehouse, yards, or other places who didn't carry chains. If I got oh. to the bottom of the hill on 176th Street and I looked up there and I thought, that doesn't look good, i quickly throw on a couple of sets of chains on my drivers. I'd have no problem getting up that hill. Guys in Vancouver at commercial transport, most of them don't even know how to put on chains. I had to put them on for them. Like, isn't it?
0: Isn't it required? Like, isn't it mandatory no. you got to chain up? No.
5: Okay. No, it's not in the lower mainland. When, yeah. you, you're, when you're leaving when you're leaving the Lower Mainland and you head towards Hope, you'll see the signs M- over certain weight must carry chains. Yeah. Yeah. That's not enforced in the Lower Mainland and it should be. Every okay. truck made to carry chains.
0: Thank you, Mike. I think that's a good idea. Carry a backup set of chains for the other guy. Jay on the line. He's at the ferry terminal in Twasan. Hey, Jay.
5: Hi, how are you? I'm good. Yeah, just uh, wanted to comment I drove in from uh, Richmond Hospital to the Ferry terminal. Only saw one snow plow. I think we don't have enough plows.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, okay, Grant, you were talking about this earlier, you know, and we've got some local mayors who have been speaking out on this as well, saying, look, we're not doing a good enough job here in our snow and ice response. What do you think?
4: Well, of course. I mean, I think anyone, like I said, anyone who's lived in the lower mainland, I mean, I don't live in the lower mainland anymore. I moved after 40 years down there. Um, up to the interior but uh the reality is i think anyone can say yeah they're just not out enough they're not out soon enough uh they talk about brining the roads well that doesn't what does that do does that stop the snow from piling up no <laughs> so um spot on anybody who lives in a Lower mainland at any time can go where are the trucks so the mayors are right um that the the the, the, the the organizations that are in charge of the plows always have an excuse.
0: It's not a bad idea to put some uh, put some local pressure on city hall there. If you do feel it's inadequate, l- let your let your elected representatives know that. Jay, thank you for the call. Let's go to another Jay on the line in Nanaimo. Hi, Jay. Go ahead.
6: Hi, thank you. I just want to touch on a couple of things. Uh, ICBC always looking for a way out of paying out. They should push for uh, making a mandatory to have a winter snowflake on your tires. Yeah. I know in the Naimo area you cannot be on the highway, either highway. One goes right through town, one goes around it. If you do not have those after October 1st, if there's a car in an accident, it does not have snowflakes on its tires, ITVs should yeah. not pay out. People might think a little harder about getting winter tires. Thank as you, well, Jay. Skating, as well, when skidding, please don't tell yeah. people to change gears they got enough to think about it. They need to hear this information. They already can't handle it. Just take your foot off the gas. It does the exact same thing. And, again, you cannot steer while you are skidding. So if you feel your car skidding, let off the brake, let off the gas, and steer yeah. into, the, into the turn, and eventually it might grab. Anything else thank you do, you're not grabbing at all. Thank you.
0: Thank thank you, Jay. Star 9898 on your cell is the number to call. Andrew and Burnaby. Hi, Andrew. Go ahead.
4: Hey, good morning.
5: Hey, um... I agree with the last part of what your guest was saying. The operations people are not out here. I drove from Horseshoe Bay to UBC, and now I'm going almost in Surrey. I have not. I saw one plow the entire time. The entire time it was on Dunbar, doing virgin snow at about quarter to nine. There are no plows out here, Mike. Zero. And okay. the infrastructure is not being there. Seventy second and Oak Street, eight inches of standing snow. People bumping over top of it, going through the intersection. <laughs> Lionsgate Bridge, standing snow on the on the bridge at seven thirty in the morning. That's just not good enough. We prepaid to have that taken away.
0: Okay. Thank you, Andrew, for that. We'll have more coverage on the snow removal issue for sure coming up to, on the show today and also tomorrow as well. We're planning coverage on it because it, it does seem to be becoming more of a concern. I don't know if it's a lack of snow removal infrastructure that's the problem. Maybe they need more plows. They need more plow drivers. Mark on the line in North Delta. Hi, Mark. Go ahead.
5: Uh, morning, Mike. Um, yeah, I'm looking out my window now. I don't know if this guy is our building. We've hired him, but it's like a futile effort. He's got a snow blower. There's a massive, massive dump of snow overnight. I can go out and measure it. It's probably a foot, 30 centimeters or more. Um, And I, I too, I'm looking um, on a Scott Road. I don't see any evidence of any snow plow, no salt truck. If you're a senior citizen, you're, you're housebound, you're marooned. It's really treacherous.
0: Yeah, for for sure, that that is for sure. Like, if you are a senior, yeah, yeah it is a trouble if you are if you are stuck inside. <laughs> I encourage people though if you do not have to drive, just don't drive. Stay at home if you yeah. can. Put a cup of yeah. cu- put a pot of coffee on and, and stay home. Grant, we get thirty seconds here if you want to weigh in on that.
4: Yeah, tires, proper tires, and uh, slow down. That was the biggest problem that I dealt with on the job with all the crashes. Was exactly those reasons.
0: Grant Thanks for coming on today.
4: My pleasure, Merry Christmas, Mike.
0: Welcome back here to Snow Central as we continue to follow the chaos on the roads, YVR, ferries cancel. I'm just looking at a statement from Vancouver International Airport just out. They say the current winter storm has had an unprecedented impact on flights at YVR. There are currently no flights departing YVR. They are trying to get passengers safely off of aircraft that are stuck on the tarmac that can't safely get back to the terminal. Passengers expected to fly today and throughout this week are advised to check ahead. Do not come to the airport. That is the message from YVR. There's no flights taking off there. And YVR has apologized for the situation. Make sure you keep it locked here for continuing coverage of the storm here as we go forward. Let's check in with Howard Chow now, Deputy Chief. Of the vancouver police department i'm very pleased to welcome him back deputy chief thank you for coming on today morning mike thank you hey, let, let me ask you for your thoughts here on the weather right now and i'm sure it's a big challenge for for law enforcement tons of accidents out there what is your message to people out there right now
7: you know it's uh it's, it's been super busy obviously with all the snow and traffic set a grinding halt in a lot of areas is if you don't have to be out there um stay home it's yeah. uh, really that simple because just the volume is adding a lot of problems for our officers and getting the calls it's choking up arterials it's uh, just creating a lot of problems
0: yeah what kind of what kind of specific problems does it create for for vpd is it just difficult for your cruisers to get through to some of these places if roads are blocked yeah
7: i mean our vehicles can can generally get through but if there's a, a string of cars in front of them that can't that aren't equipped for the snow then uh, we can't get past them to get to these calls. Like the uh, volume of calls still come in despite the snow, um, and uh, our ability to get to them to to, to help out is uh, is constrained, obviously, by traffic.
0: Yeah, when you see these uh, accidents on the road, Howard, like do you find typically, like in your experience, are, are people driving with inadequate tires? I mean, do you see that a lot?
7: That is, uh, you know, quite often you do see that, but you also see the experience in driving in this weather. uh, You know, let's face it, in Vancouver, we just don't have that much experience in driving, um, you know, whenever uh, we get weather like this. So that adds to it. Uh, But, you know, like, clearly it's uh, once it it bottlenecks and we get the choke points, then everybody looks for different routes and workarounds. And then uh, they go into areas that that are going to cause them more problems.
0: Speaking of Howard Chow, Deputy Chief of the Vancouver Police Department. Howard, let me ask you about a focus that we've had here on the show in the in the past week or so, and that is on the surge in shoplifting that we're seeing on the show yesterday. I spoke to Richard Pridham. He's the owner of KMS Tools in Coquitlam. They sell a lot of expensive power tools in that store. You think they get ripped off a lot? Yeah, it happens every day. So what they started doing was they put up pictures of shoplifters on the wall of the store. One guy came in, saw his own son's picture on the wall, dragged the kid in, made him apologize, paid the money back for the stuff he stole. Now, now I'll tell you, that is one way to curtail shoplifting, I guess. But there are other methods, too. This is a big problem right now. What, What are you hearing on shoplifting right now at VPD?
7: Well, it's not even what I'm hearing. It's what we're seeing. And and I listened to your program last week, and I was glad, uh, um, you know, that you had all the callers, you know, uh, talking about how outraged they are because they're seeing these uh, shoplifters uh, come into stores, um, you know, after these stores have been struggling over the last three years, and they're coming in and they're taking items with impunity. They think that it's okay. Hey, I'm going to grab them and leave. And when they're confronted uh, generally 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you'd give up and say, okay, here's uh, the item back and then deal with the consequences. Not so much now. You're having, I'll give you some examples. Like just the other day, this is just all within the last few days, we had somebody ripping off some candy from a store. Uh, when the manager tried to grab the person, the shoplifter pulled out a knife and stabbed him. Uh, we oh. had somebody, uh, same sort of thing. It was inside of a uh, uh, a store near Abbott and Hastings. A uh, Shoplifter... Uh, tries to get out of the store, security guard uh, and a bystander jump in and they get pepper sprayed. Um, Another knife pulled out in the Chinatown robbery. Uh, 7-Eleven robbery where uh, uh, one of the teens uh, comes back afterwards when he was confronted. He got away, he came back after with bear spray and attacked the worker. So these are daily, daily occurrences that are taking place. We're not talking about the -the run-of-the-mill ones that just get away with the uh, activity. We're talking about the ones that are confronted, uh, the violent shoplifters, and we're seeing numbers for violent shop, for shoplifters alone, comparing our 2022 numbers to 2021, seeing a 32% increase. For violent shoplifters, we're seeing a 20% increase. Um, and it's trending up. You know, if we compare from uh, 10, 12 years ago, we're seeing a 180% increase in the violent shoplifters. And that doesn't even count in uh, all the huge unreporting issues that we've talked about uh, with delays in the e-com. People don't, uh, you know, having to sit online for hours on end to call in a non-emergency call, so they hang up. And we're having that to the tune of about 240 times every single day where batting calls take place.
0: Okay, that's uh, so, some startling statistics you just mentioned there, and, and especially the incidence of violent shoplifting on the rise is disturbing for sure. I have heard from people who work in stores that they've been told by their managers, if you see someone shoplifting, do not intervene or try to apprehend them because you just never know what's going to happen. Someone could pull a knife on you. Something could turn violent. Let me, Howard, let me play this here for you. This is on yesterday's show. A caller on the open line calling in about uh, about his son who works in a grocery store. Have a listen to this.
4: My youngest son was working at one of the major food chains. Uh, they were told, uh, unless you absolutely see everything, don't harass anybody, even though you know they're stuffing pork chops in their pants or shoving a head of lettuce into their shirt or they were told just to let them walk out. They don't want the confrontation. Yeah, I've heard that
0: a lot. Like, don't intervene because you don't know if someone's going to turn violent. What do you think of that?
7: Well, and that's what we're seeing. Like, when I talk about the violent shoplifters happen, happening daily in just in the city of Vancouver, uh, you just don't know who you're going to be confronting. So, generally speaking, the LPOs, uh, they've got extra training If you can, you know, what we recommend to the public is if you can, call it in and try to follow at a distance. And if you see an LPO or a staff member struggling with a shoplift, if you can, um, you know, either be a good witness. And if you can intervene and help out uh, safely, do so. If not, just call us and and give us play by play. All these things will help us deal with some of these issues that we're we're, uh, having to confront.
0: Speaking to Howard Chow, Deputy Chief of the Vancouver Police Department. Let me play another clip here for you from a a caller. This is on... Yesterday's show. Now he is an LPO—that is, a, a loss prevention officer. So effectively, a, a security guard in a store whose whose job it is to stop these shoplifters. And uh, listen to what he says here, because he says that even when you catch some of these shoplifters, it's difficult to see them get uh, criminal charges that stick against them. I've listened to what he said here, Howard. Then I'll get your thoughts.
1: The big issue with shoplifting is ironically the shoplifter has more rights than you realize like if you have to almost witness everything happen or you have to kind of let it go because of the fact is you need to have concrete evidence like if there's even a slight bit of doubt they actually yeah. get away with a lot
0: okay do you think that's true it's difficult to make some of these cases stick if there's charges
7: well i, I think it's necessary i think uh we've got to make sure that we've got it right when we're arresting, charging people and detaining people. So I, I think that's a necessary part of our criminal justice system. But I can tell you that there's lots of opportunity where you're seeing people and they're, they're arresting people on a routine basis. I think some of the initiatives coming out of uh, the province with uh, pre- Premier Evie and the Community Safety Action Plan, also with uh, Mayor and Council and Mayor Kensim in terms of some of the initiatives there, I think are, are getting us down that right road on holding some of these people accountable, stopping this revolving door uh, that many talk about. Uh, but, th- you know, it's it's a step in the right direction. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, those uh, LPOs, those loss prevention officers, man, that would be a difficult job, especially when you don't know if someone is going to turn violent if you've intervened with them. D- did you tell me, I believe you said that was there a case the other day of an LP, uh, a loss prevention officer interacting with someone and the guy pulled out a hammer? Yeah, that was
7: the other day. Um, I think it was on the on the weekend, actually, and it was the uh, same sort of thing. LPO confronted the individual and uh, our, our shoplifter pulled out a hammer. So, like I said, this is a regular occurrence. It's, it's uh, Unfortunately, it's not shocking to me anymore when we see this, when uh, LPO's are getting confronted with, uh, you know, weapons and, and bear spray and and they're having to, you know, often they're assaulted. Here's here's another kind of staggering stat. Um, Spitting incidents. We looked at it uh, very closely in 2021. We're finding that we get probably about one a day where somebody has been spat on. And a large number of those um, are against LPO officers, security officers, and police. When when you're confronting, dealing with these individuals you just caught, you know, in the act. And, you know, aside from all this, they get spat on but just some of these things that, uh, you know, our LPOs are having to put up with uh, just doing their job.
0: Howard Chow, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it a lot. Thank you. Yeah, it's a really difficult situation on the roads here right now. Just taking a look at the Drive BC website. Yeah, it is really, really brutal on a lot of the major routes here. Let's check in quickly with Jeff Jeffries, AM730, all traffic all the time. Jeff, thanks for hopping
8: on here. Uh, No problem, Mike. Thanks for for having me.
0: Yeah, you bet. What's the latest out there?
8: Uh, Well, the latest right now is like... The biggest difference between this time yesterday and this time today is the fact that the Highway 1 west between the Portman Bridge and Burnaby has actually been plowed today. So we're actually seeing steady volume and bad road conditions all over the place. But it's nothing like it was yesterday with the brutal traffic on Highway 1 through uh, Surrey all the way into Vancouver. So that mercifully is uh, eased up today. Uh, Like I said, though, all the road conditions around Metro Vancouver is still very, very suspect. If you don't have to be on the roads today, please stay off the roads today.
0: Seeing a lot of accidents out there?
8: Uh, you know what? not quite a lot of accidents, but a lot of vehicles who just don't have the proper tires on their vehicles getting stuck on hills, i.e. 176 in Surrey had real big issues today. Boundary Road at both sides of the hill there, they had big issues today. So pretty much anywhere there was a hill and there was a big truck without proper tires, that's where you saw all the problems.
0: Jeff, thanks for jumping on here.
8: Uh, no problem, Michael. Thank you.
0: Okay, I appreciate it. Jeff, Jeffries there, AM 730, all traffic all the time. And we'll be checking in with them throughout the show here, keep you updated on the situation on our roads. Yeah, it is a real mess out there. It's gridlock at YVR. Ferries canceled. Make sure you keep it locked here all morning long. Let's quickly go to your calls. Alex on the line in Tawasson.
4: Hi, Alex. Hi, how are you doing? Listen, um, just really quickly, I went for a holiday to uh, Victoria last summer. And uh, there was a 7-Eleven near where we were staying, I think, on Yates Street. I'm not sure. It's kind of downtown. Yeah. And there was a permanent group of guys, you know, sort of interesting street guys that were camped there almost all the time in the parking lot. And when I went to get a paper every morning at the same time, the, the people that were in the parking lot were coming in and out and just taking stuff. And the two young guys that worked there were great guys, really nice. I'd, I'd be afraid to work there myself but uh you know they take come in take cookies coffee whatever to start their day and i'm pretty sure that the management has said to the two guys just let them go take their stuff so that's thank you what for I that
0: thought. thank okay. you for that alex yeah i mean i've talked to store owners who just say you know we're not going to tell our staff to intervene if there's a shoplifter because you just you don't know you don't know what they're going to do so i think for a lot of these retailers sadly you sort of factor in shoplifting losses is almost like a cost of doing business but a lot of them are spending more on security upgrades surveillance cameras even security guards on the floor raj on the line in surrey hi raj
9: hey mike how's it going good go ahead hey i was at uh the walmart the new walmart in metrotown a couple of years ago when it just opened up and uh i got uh i went and just bought a dollar 25 milk chocolate milk and i worked there right in in that location so i go there quite often But I had uh, I already uh, paid and walked out and walked like halfway through the mall. And uh, one of those LPOs you were just talking about, he approached me and he grabbed my shoulder and said, you need to come with me. You didn't pay for that milk. Now, I have a business of my own. So I'm used to just holding on to all my receipts just to have it. And, uh, you know, I had my receipt with me. And when he saw my receipt. Uh, he let me go, but when I went in, back into the Walmart, I asked the manager. He won't give me his name. He won't give me the LPO's name. Nothing. Now, I understand a lot of people steal, but what about yeah. people that get, um, you know, that don't steal? And then on the flip side of things, you know, I just got accused for something I didn't do. Nothing got done.
0: Well, was it like, well, was it like a misunderstanding?
9: How is it a misunderstanding? He said he saw me on a camera. He's the LPO. Uh-huh. I, know I, that. I literally went, self-checkout, paid, got my uh-huh. receipt. I mean, that's uh, it's pretty embarrassing, right?
0: Well, it's kind of embarrassing, but I, I don't know. I guess human beings being a, as fallible as they are, sometimes a, a mistake will, will happen. I appreciate you sharing the story, Raj. Travis in Coquitlam. Travis, you got 30 seconds.
5: Hey, how are you? Anyways, I was just going to chime in on your um, people just walking out with stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, I figure it's a liability thing on the part of the company because, you know, if a store owner goes and punches somebody in the face and the company, <laughs> the, the company's kind of liable for that. But I have seen people walk into said stores and grab a tool belt and fill it with tools and just walk out.
0: Here we go now with our great single-use plastics debate on the show today. Today is the day the single-use plastics ban kicks in across Canada. Starting today, the government of Canada banning the manufacture and import for sale of some single-use plastic items, including plastic shopping bags, cutlery, food service wear, stir sticks, and straws. So you will not be allowed to import these or manufacture them in Canada. Uh, they will phase in further bans later, including the prohibition on the sales of these items. Okay, let's discuss this now. Is this going to make a big difference? Is this the right thing to do both sides of it for you karen wersig is the program manager at environmental defense very pleased to welcome karen back to the show karen thank you for coming on today
3: thank you for having me good to be here
0: you bet thank you karen also on the line is david clement david is the north american affairs manager for the consumer choice center david thanks for coming on again thank you Okay, thank you, folks, for both of you for being here. Karen, let me go to you first. So, this has been a long time coming—the single-use plastics ban. It's expected to expand later. What are your thoughts on the day on uh, today as, as some of this ban starts to kick in?
3: Well, we're pretty happy. It's a good first start. Um, basically, what I think people will notice is now uh, rapidly, you will see fewer and fewer of these items like checkout bags and straws available as businesses kind of run down their supply.
0: Right. And so as I understand it, so first of all, this is sort of coming in in phases, right? So the first thing they're banning is the, the import of these and the manufacturer of them, and then they expand the ban later. Is that correct?
3: That's right. And so within a year, you won't companies, businesses won't be able to give them out or sell them anymore. Right. Um, you know, with meals, restaurant meals or groceries or whatever people are buying. And this is, I mean, what's great about this is that businesses then have some time to find alternatives and use their stock of these items um, while they still have them. But also they get to um, think about, you know, exploring other systems. And what we really hope is that they look into how they can find reusables and reusable services to replace single-use packaging and and Uh, products.
0: And and quickly, Karen, why why is this a good thing in your mind? Like, why is this going to be good for the environment?
3: Well, these are some of the most destructive um, things that we find in nature. So, and they are commonly littered because you can imagine bags. I mean, it's not uncommon to see bags kind of floating in tree branches and uh, flowing down a river or washed up at the beach. The same thing with straws and cutlery. They're things we tend to take out and then they blow away because they're lightweight and plastic. And, yeah. you know, even if they end up in the waste stream, they're not recycled. And they gum up the works in terms of sorting. They're often very small or because they're filmy. Um, and so when they end up in nature, we, we've all seen the pictures um, animals eat them by accident or um, they get stuck in their bodies. They, you know, the six pack rings or that ban is starting in six months. Those we've seen the pictures of those six pack rings, strangling water birds and other animals. And so these, this is kind of the low hanging fruit of getting some of the most harmful products out of our markets, but also out of nature.
0: Okay. David Clement, Consumer Choice Center. David, what do you say to all that?
2: I mean, if you only care, about limiting the use of plastic um, then this could be a benefit in regards to limiting the use of plastic and i that i say that with a big if if you care about the environment overall this is a huge loss and it's a huge loss because the alternatives that uh, are going to fill the void whether they be paper bags cloth bags uh, paper cutlery like what tim hortons has uh has announced t- today those are all exponentially worse for the environment. So an example would be a paper bag, according to the UK's uh, Environment Ministry and Denmark's Environment Ministry, have to be reused about 43 times to be as environmentally advantageous as a single-use plastic bag. I mean, I, uh, maybe, maybe there's someone out there who could use reuse a paper bag 43 times. I have a hard time getting it out of my car. Um, and so all of the alternatives that consumers are going to be pushed to are worse for the environment um, how could a, how could
0: that how could that be true if like a paper yeah. bag if a paper bag that gets dumped in a landfill would would gradually decompose would it not compared to a, a plastic bag that would not
2: of course, but it 's the way in which the the paper bag is created um, it 's incredibly uh, energy intensive uh, and so based on if i 'm using denmark 's benchmarks. 15 environmental benchmarks ranging from uh, ocean acidification to emissions, um, that is that they use a a 15 point uh, system to grade these alternatives and papers 43 times. I mean, cloth bags, which we're seeing kind of come back, are upwards of 7,000 times uh, in terms of reuse. And I mean, that's multiple lifetimes of grocery trips, which obviously um, no human lives long enough to ever make that possible. Um, So, yeah, the alternatives are not great. And there are exemptions in these rules which will push people to push producers and push businesses if they don't go with those alternatives to plastics, which are thicker, which is just more plastic.
0: Karen, what do you say to that?
3: Well I think the the these studies that um, David is referring to have been largely debunked. Uh, you know it, the, the problem with these life life cycle assessments, that's what really they're called is that they depend on you know, the model of information you're putting into it. So it, if if your paper is, if your paper bag is recycled, um, it, it won't have the same impact as a non-recycled paper bag, first of all, but it, it made of recycled paper, I mean. Obviously, the um, taking of, you know, natural resources and turning them into single-use products is a terrible idea. We don't support it. Um, but so first of all, that would change the outcome of that life cycle assessment if you're using recycled um, Fiber for those paper bags, but secondly, what those assessments never look at is what happens once that item is waste. And you mentioned it. um, Once it happens in a landfill, yes, the paper bag breaks down and it doesn't leach any harmful chemicals into the surrounding ground ground groundwater, and it also won't choke, suffocate, or fill the belly of, um, say, a whale or a camel. These are all animals that have been found with these you know, be- plastic bags filling their stomachs. It's terrible. So oh. uh, you know what, what these assessments never look at is the waste end of, of the equation, and plastic is a terrible waste.
0: Okay, David, well, quick I mean, response there.
2: Go ahead. Yeah, I don't think that that's, that's not accurate on, on two points. One, because the life cycle analysis includes end-of-life. So they include what happens at the end of life and what the the best uh, way forward is in regards to how to dispose of that product. Um, two, if we're talking about animals, I mean, obviously that's tragic. Um, and, yes, we've seen those images. But the vast, vast majority of plastic waste that is harming ocean life um, is from fishing. It's discarded fishing plastic. It's not... The it's not the the lid of the of your double double in the morning, um, and so it's just it's, it's a very convenient and neat way to use to to really pull on something we don't want to see, um, but it, in many senses it's trying to 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 um, solve a problem by symbolically banning okay. items that aren't actually creating uh, the issue that we're concerned about.
0: All right, we are debating the single-use plastics ban. It kicks in across Canada today. My guests are Karen Worsig, Environmental Defense, David Clement, Consumer Choice Center. Phone lines are open, 604-280-9898. Star 9898 on your cell. Greg in Port Coquitlam. Hi, Greg.
1: Hi, Mike. Um, I'm just kind of curious on this one, only because... For the the gentleman on the single-use side, I'm wondering what his holdings are in certain petroleum companies because he's a little gung-ho on it when we know we all did the experiment when we were in the third grade. We're eight. A paper breaks down in water much easier, and you can't tell me that the majority of the microplastics that are found in aquatic life are coming from boats when we've all seen the garbage patch that literally exists in the middle of the ocean that they're trying to pull – 10,000 tons of plastic and garbage out of our oceans and we're eating that stuff all right that's in us as well so you can't tell me that the single use plastic is a good idea unless you've got you're pulling money out of that company somehow
0: okay david is this like a a big (laughs) a big oil thing go ahead
1: oh i mean i I, that would
2: be great it would be great if i was somehow getting money from this um i mean so, one, yeah, the garbage patch is a problem, but, I mean, however you want it to distort the facts, it's predominantly from discarded fishing gear, and that's a huge problem that needs intervention and regulation. Um, I don't think any of this should actually end up in landfills. I think we should depolarize all of it because you can break down with new technologies. You can collect and break all of this down to extend the life cycle almost infinitively. Um, So I don't think it's, oh, well, if we use them, obviously we have to throw them in landfills. No, I don't think we have to do that at all. And there are a lot of Canadian innovators out there who are solving these problems. We just have to empower them uh, to continue to do so. Karen.
3: Listen, we throw away 2.2 million tons of plastic packaging alone every year. And there's no question that some of this ends up in the environment. And even when it doesn't, if it's burned or or buried as landfill, there are all kinds of emissions that come from it. So it is a bad thing. And there is no way we could ever manage to reuse and recycle all of that plastic because right now it's made to be garbage. So I think Greg has a good point about the, where this stuff is ending up. And what I would say is if, if the plastics industry is serious about saving plastics, then what we need to focus on is the things that plastics really are useful for. Certain medical technologies, obviously low-carbon transportation, it's useful. Um, some some low-carbon energy sources, I think it's now in wind turbines and solar panels. What the plastics industry, in my view, should focus on is making making those lightweight plastics reusable, And so that we, you know, when when we're finished with those, you know, when when you can no longer drive that bus that has plastic in it or turn that wind windmill turbine, you can actually take it apart, fix it up and put it back into service. So just Mm -hmm. as David says, it's not going to landfill because I agree that we shouldn't be making plastic waste. But right now, most plastic is made to be waste. And that's just the reality of it. And we're never going to solve that problem unless we change that.
1: Go ahead, David. Uh,
3: I'm
2: glad that you brought up carbon. Um, and emissions, because most people forget that that is, in large part, why plastic is the preferred alternative. If you look at baby food, for example, baby food in a plastic container is 33 percent better for the environment in terms of emission than the alternative of glass. And that's because it's lighter. It's easier to transport. Um, and so, I mean, yes, I'm all for having the emissions conversation. That's a, certainly a valid one. But there are a lot of instances where the reason why we use plastic is because it's actually better for the environment. And if we want to have a conversation about the end of life uh, for these products. I think that is what we should be talking okay. about rather than symbolically saying, hey, Joe, uh, in Vancouver, you're we're going to punish you by banning the, the straw that you liked. Uh, even though that really won't have any serious impact on the issue of ocean waste, the animals who suffer from from ocean plastic and whatnot.
0: Okay, let's squeeze another call in here. Peter on the line in Kelowna. Peter, you got 30 seconds here. Go ahead.
6: Yeah, so this, this happened a couple of times. I'm in line at Starbucks. The guy in front of me gets a medium ice cap. He asked for 10 paper straws because his paper straw disintegrates in his ice cap mm-hmm. after about two sips. So how is this better for the environment? The cup's plastic, the lid's plastic, and the guy's taking 10 straws because these paper straws don't work. Okay, we just have
0: two minutes left here, guys, so I'll I'll Mm -hmm. give you one minute each here to sum up, keep it all nice and fair. Karen, go ahead.
3: I think the future for the climate and the future for the environment is reusables. So, yeah, paper straws may be a stopgap measure, just to to speak to what Peter is saying, but really what we need is to go to reusables and we we can have reusables of all kinds of cutlery. It's, It's the way we used to work. We need to go back to it and companies need to be required to do it and supported to do it so that we're, we're cutting the trips that these, items have to make right now that they're being made somewhere shipped to us we use them for a very few very short amount of time and then throw them away and they're shipped somewhere else to be disposed we need to keep these things in local circulation um, reusable straws plates cups uh, takeout containers bags and that that needs to be convenient and affordable for everyone that's the real solution here and it's not something the plastics industry likes because it takes away their business model of throwaway garbage that they can replace every minute
0: Got a minute left here. David, yeah. go ahead.
2: So, yeah, two important points there. Convenience and affordability. Imagine going to McDonald's to order your Big Mac combo and bringing your own however you want to store it every time. I, I mean, it's that—that that is, I, I was uh, described as unrealistic for talking about depolarization. I think that is just an absolute fantasy land. Um, but in regards to affordability, all of these things are m- more expensive. Uh I mean, uh, paper bags are 2.5 times more expensive than single-use bags. Single-use cutlery is over two times more expensive. Paper straws are three times more expensive. So not only are they not better for the environment, the consumer okay. at the end of the day is paying more for it. All right. Well, I reusables think-
3: are clearly cheaper over time. There's no question.
2: Thank thank
0: you, guys, for another really good discussion on this. We have more calls coming in we can't get to. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for doing it. Karen Worsig, Environmental Defense, David Clement, Consumer Choice Center. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at
1: cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.